Hi, I'm Xavier de Kesselier. I'm an architect at Hassel Studio. Welcome to Hassel Talks. As an architect, over the last uh, year or so, I got involved in quite a very special project. It was actually a competition for NASA. And the brief of the competition was to design a habitat, a habitat for four astronauts on Mars. How would they live? What would that place look like? Now, once you start a competition like that as an architect, um, we needed quite a lot of um, info and data. How is it? How would it be to live on Mars? So we start to call around and um, all roads seem to lead to this one person, this guy called Professor Sanjeev Gupta. Everybody told me, yeah, talk to Sanjeev. He'll be able to help you out. So, of course, what I did, I emailed Professor Sanjeev Gupta. Um, and Sanjeev, you're here with us now today. I know, it's great. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Um, and the amazing thing what happens when I ask Sanjeev, look, I'm, I'm going to organize a little symposium and the idea of the symposium is to get as much as information as possible and people to come together, scientists, engineers, to come and critique our little proposal. But Sanjeev, you, you never made it to my uh, symposium. Can you explain why? I was actually going to quite an important meeting where we were discussing um, uh, the proposed landing site for one of the future rovers, the European rover, actually. So I couldn't miss that because I was chairing the meeting. So sorry, Javier. <laughs> so you were doing actual Mars work for real stuff going to Mars. Okay, that, I think that's, that's a good excuse. Uh, you're a professor of geology and, and Mars science. You kind of, when I asked you what you actually do with, with NASA, because you work with NASA at the moment, um, and I always tell my friends, uh, yeah, I know the guy that drives the Mars rover. I know it's not 100% accurate, but it's for me, it's kind of close. Could you tell me what you really do with the current Mars mission? Okay, so it's 100% inaccurate. <laughs> Nobody would ever let me near a Mars rover. I am a bad driver. Um, so what I do is I'm a, I have two roles. So I work on the NASA um, Mars Science Laboratory, the Curiosity rover. I look at the images that the rover collects and I ask the rover to collect images uh, that I analyze the geology of. So I look at the rocks and I, my job is to reconstruct what the ancient landscape on Mars was like. So we know what the landscape present-day Mars is like, but I can t look into those pictures and sort of try and work out if Mars was warm and wet in the past. And secondly, I have an operations role um, which is, I'm a st strategic planner for the mission. So one of eight people, we're kind of the brains trust for the rover. So actually today I am responsible for the rover. So after this recording, I will go back home to my armchair and I will plan uh, what the rover will be doing. And tell me, how, how do you plan that? What, what, what are the tools that you have to, uh, to plan something like that? So um, it's interesting, it's a large team. Mm -hmm. And so what I will be doing is working closely with the engineers in um, thinking about what experiments we want to do on Mars. We're actually finishing up a set of experiments, so we're just making sure that we've ticked all the boxes, etc. So it's basically it's about eight hours on a telephone. <laughs> That's what it is. What stuff have you found out in the last few years with the Mars rover? The big results, really, of the Curiosity mission that, that have been the game changers, if you like, mm -hmm. have been that we've discovered that the place that Curiosity is exploring, Gale Crater, had... Um, really habitable environment. Would have been rivers, uh, there would have been likely rainfall or snowfall falling on the mountains of the crater rim. 
um, this would have melted and there would have been rivers and all the water in that river would have been transported into lakes and so we have clear evidence for lakes that existed and that probably lasted for hundreds of thousands if not millions of years mm -hmm. so me as an architect I'm of course interested in, in, in humans you know being on Mars because you know that's what the project was about and uh, as an architect you design for humans hopefully I think uh, we can start to convince uh, space agencies that uh, as a designer we have a crucial role to play in space development. Yeah, I think so and I think uh, it's as a scientist I've not really thought of that but I have been involved uh, recent, in recent years in actually thinking about some of the first landing sites where humans might actually go to mm -hmm. and um, that's been fascinating. Um, it's fascinating that we're already thinking about that but you know at the end of the day we're actually going to Mars to do science And probably the big science we're actually going to do is geology, you know, habitability, what Mars was like early in its history and the search for life. So, you know, what we do, what we do in this uh, exploration zone is we have, um, um, we have obviously the landing site. And then around that, we have defined regions of interest, we call them. So there's scientific regions of interest where our key targets, where we would actually be able to test different hypotheses about Mars science and search for life and search for the early history of Mars, but also we have um, engineering regions of interest, and those are really because any human expedition to Mars would have to be self-sustaining. Yeah, so what do we need as, as a human? What so do you think? We, we obviously need oxygen to breathe, we mm -hmm. need water, and we can't take that with us. And we need oxygen, obviously, as rocket fuel to bring those humans back. So, you know, certainly space agencies want to go back. will not... <laughs> want to send astronauts yeah. on a one-way mission and frankly as a scientist i want the rocks back so, <laughs> <laughs> some self -interest so, so there's a bit of self-interest there so it's it's not like this mars one uh one-way journey um and so actually what we need is resources we actually need to mine resources on mars mm -hmm. and that's geology too so actually not only are we looking at the geology for a scientific purpose to tease out Mars's secrets, but actually we need the geology to work out how to get water and oxygen, and so um, to be able to survive. To be able to survive, so you know, we could back. we could extract uh, oxygen from the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. It's possible from uh, Mars is a uh, carbon dioxide rich atmosphere. Extract that from there. Alternatively, there are uh, abundant deposits of clay minerals, mm -hmm. and clay minerals are rich in water. Attached, and so we could actually break that down and extract the water out of that, and then break the water to extract oxygen from that. So there's all sorts of ways, but we would actually have to mine those resources. And so uh, the maps we were producing actually had all of these targets for where oh, we would actually resource. And would that need to happen before the, the astronauts go to Mars, or is that? Well, we need to define those, and then I, I, I think oh, who knows? It's, it's a long way ahead, um, but. Um, You know, people are not thinking about humans going to Mars until the 2050s, probably. Is that um, why, how you think, how long it's going to take? Because Elon Musk seems to be want to go earlier, right? Yeah, yeah. I think for having uh, a group of astronauts who actually do science, I think you, you're talking about expeditions for six months to several years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we went to the moon for a few days. It can't do that with Mars. And so we want to get good science out of it. So, um, you know, they're going to need 
habitations. <laughs> yeah, I think in, in our proposal, uh, which we worked with with Cranford University, we our timeline actually is, is somewhere in the 2030s to, uh, and our whole mission would probably last about 12 years uh, from the first launches to then get stuff to Mars, to start building, constructing, and then get the astronauts there, missionary, and then back. Uh, yeah, it takes a long, a long time to do something like that. So if you were that uh, astronaut struck geologist going to Mars, and I think even on the moon, there was only one scientist that ever stepped on the moon. The other ones were military <laughs> backgrounds, yeah, those astronauts in the Apollo uh, era. How would you go about in, um, as geologists in that landscape? And, and I think I just kind of recall some um, conversations we had, how you as a geologist, how you operate on Earth, how you go and take in the landscape almost. Can you talk a bit more about that? I'm probably quite a lazy geologist. So the first thing that I do, I always carry a flask of coffee with me, um, is that I actually get to a relatively high vantage point and I gaze across the scenery just to put myself in that landscape. And the key thing is that you can't just collect data. You actually have to make your interpretations somewhat in the field. So I, I sort of put myself in that landscape and I try and work out exactly what I want to do. I, I develop a strategy. It's probably a little bit similar to you as an architect when you're visiting uh, a developing site. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I think as an architect or an urbanist or um, anybody that works in urban environment, uh, what we need to do is go there, you know. And and uh, and I remember as a student, even the first time you you were given a, a site, uh, I remember our professors going, "You have to go there every single day and different times of the day just to kind of take it all in." And and actually, you know, one of the things that maybe may will surprise you, but actually what I do is when I'm in that landscape, the first thing that I do is I draw sketches. I have a wow. sketch pad. I have an A3 sketch pad that I carry and I draw the landscape and I draw the rocks and I, it helps me focus and think about what I'm seeing. That way I can actually design the strategy of how I'm going to interrogate this landscape because I need to interrogate it to reconstruct what happened. What, what I'm trying to do is to replay what that landscape or the rocks in the landscape look like in the past, but you can't suddenly approach them and say, tell me what you are, <laughs> tell me what's going on. No, you have to be a bit more subtle about it. And um, that requires asking questions. So I, I just find it really fascinating. You know, you're a scientist um, using some actually quite design and architectural tools in your thinking. And I'm an architect and I'm quite obsessed by science and engineering. I love to kind of use lots of data in our design because that really for me gives me a good kind of handle a good grip on on the world and um you know i love to design with with data and, and facts and not just just architecture as an artistic expression right of course it is always an artistic expression but if it's like embedded within science and uh, engineering but, but I think, so much better yeah but i think actually the scientific endeavor i think people don't really realize is actually very similar it's not just hard facts and hard data you have to develop a story and there's a little bit of a certainly in geology there's a bit of a gap between the data you mm -hmm. can't immediately jump to an interpretation it, requ it does require a bit of an artistic mind in developing that.
I start to feel like both of us are not really trying to be confined by our own fields. You know, we try to get out of that bubble myself out of what architecture is supposed to be because I'm designing stuff on Mars, um, talking to scientists and engineers a lot. And you are um, a, a scientist that actually is quite interested in architecture and artistic expression. And I think in one of your... TEDx talks, you talk about um, you'd be quite interested in what the first piece of art or the first artist would do on Mars. What would he be doing? Uh, they'd be doing beautiful landscape paintings. I think it's, it's, if you think about it, you know, in the explorations of the 16th, 17th centuries, they always had artists going along painting the landscapes that they discovered. And I would hope that human missions to Mars would actually, in addition to the scientists and the geologists mm -hmm. and the biologists, they would actually take artists along and uh, to record. Because whilst we can take pictures, there's just something about that ability to sketch and paint mm -hmm. that captures the imagination in a way that a photograph ne doesn't necessarily do. Even as scientists, we're very fascinated by, you know, for example, uh, quite often one of the orbiters takes the high-rise uh, camera on the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, takes pictures of the rover. And oh, right. So you actually does... Yeah, so we can actually see this. And, really? and for us, it's really amazing to see the, the rover and you can see the wheel tracks. Oh, and you can right. actually track our route through the Martian landscape. And it's amazing to see that that's actually... Um, and, and, and sometimes some of the most compelling, one of the most compelling images that we have from Curiosity is when, again, we did something quite dangerous. In mm -hmm. the end, it wasn't that dangerous, but we were worried about it. And we had to cross a dune. And the rover driver suggested we take a picture just looking back mm -hmm. at the rover tracks. Um, yeah, okay. We didn't really think much of it. And the image that's come back, it's just totally compelling. In fact, we're going to use it for an exhibition. Uh, because you just see this extraordinary little landscape of this dune and this curved rover tracks crossing this and it gives you a sense of, you know, that journey. It gives you a sense of journey. But, you know, in a sense, there's an artistic impression, if you like. Sanjeev, this is a question I always get uh, working on a project on Mars. And the question is, um, should we really go? Should we spend all that money effort, um, knowledge in actually going there, um, should we not just fix our own planet first? What, what is, I've got my own answer for that one, but what is your answer to it? Um, that's quite an interesting question. I have a lots of debates, arguments with people over this. I actually don't think we get to choose. I think somebody will just do it. Yeah. And either a private company will do it or a nation will do it and the other nations will quickly follow. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think um, there's no riches out there, but it, it's that the scientific riches, it's that the credentials you would get mm -hmm. and that exploration side of it. I think in doing so, it, it is a lot of money, but we spend a lot of money on many other things. Mm -hmm. um, but I think th there's something aspirational about it. I think we'll go because it's a target for us. Humans have always explored, and so we will just go. Somebody will go. Something that people forget is that we will go to Mars really for science, mm -hmm. just, you know, really to solve this problem. You know, are we alone in the universe, or, you know, did life arise elsewhere? So, Sanjeev, um, thank you so much for uh, having this chat. 
what I really enjoyed is seeing how you go outside your normal bubble, your normal science bubble. And that's something what me as an architect and as, as architects try to do as well. So uh, thanks again for being here for the fantastic chat. Thanks. Pleasure. I'm Xavier de Kessler. You've been listening to an episode of Hassle Talks, recorded here in London. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to hear more, please subscribe and check out our other episodes. Thanks for listening.